Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Well, I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Katie Williams, who is coming to us live here from Tallahassee, Florida, a place I once lived for about eight years of my life. Katie, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thanks. While you lived here, you lived with my husband, didn't you? That's right. Uh, <laughs> he was at, We were roommates for several years, four years. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Um, and then he met this. Well, I think he already knew you. He, uh, he had met you, I think, prior. He and I, uh, let me see. I actually had bought a house in 2008. Uh, and Mike and I were actually in the same uh, like Catholic young young uh, young adults group or something. We had yeah. literally just met. I mean, I had only moved to Tallahassee like <laughs> nine months before I probably met Mike, okay, your husband. And I had been telling somebody, you know, at the table, I was, oh, I just bought this house and I'm looking for roommates. And Mike was like, oh, I need a room. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's literally like so. Uh, we we met uh, and and we became roommates pretty pretty soon after actually. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, I, the other thing I got to give Mike credit for, uh, among many other things, uh, is uh, probably six months after that, he introduced me to this thing that a lot of people who've listened to this podcast or follow me in any way, hear me talk a lot about two things, the Rock by the Sea. Yeah. And the next year, he took me on my first rock boat. Mm -hmm. uh, so he introduced me to those two things, which became you know, really uh, impactful and instrumental parts of my life for many years. And I've now been on seven rock boats. In fact, I think Mike's been on like three. In fact, yeah. the one I think he went on with me in 2010 was maybe the last one he went on. Yeah, he uh, wants to go again. But, you know, kids throw a wrench in that. That's right. So <laughs> you guys got married. You guys just celebrated your 10th uh, wedding anniversary this year, just a, like a month ago or so, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in July. Yeah, so a month ago. Yeah. So congratulations. And um, it's crazy to think it's been 10 years because my one and only time in my life that I've ever been to the wonderful state of Minnesota was <laughs> to go there for your wedding <laughs> 10 years ago. I can't believe no, that. It, it seems crazy that it's been 10 years, but it also seems like it's not been that at all. Like, wow, 10 years is a long time, but it also seems very short. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, it, it I was well, I literally was like you you were telling me you know it was your ten you guys I know we're gonna talk about this a little bit someplace you went for your tenth wedding anniversary. Yeah. But uh, I was like ten. Wait, I it, it was ten years ago that I went up to Minnesota for that wedding. So I can't believe old, it. Right? And you're from Frazee, Minnesota. So mm -hmm. that's what a two or three hour drive, if I remember, from Minneapolis. It's a four hour drive from Minneapolis. It's like. An hour from the North Dakota border and two hours from the Canadian border. So like real north. <laughs> yeah. No, you're so close to North Dakota that when I literally was only in Minnesota for like two or three nights, I think, for your yeah, the whole thing. Great. And I believe um, I know Mike Manley was with me. Yes. Amber. Um, Amber yep. was with me. And was there somebody? Else? Well, we, we Sam Thacker played at your wedding. Yes. So, so but I think it was Amber and Mike and I that maybe we drove up together or we drove back down together. And I remember seeing the sign for uh, Fargo, North Dakota. 
Mm-hmm. And it's what, like an hour, hour and a half is yeah, what you said? Yeah, an hour away. It's where my brother lives. Well, to this day, Katie, North Dakota remains one of the three states uh-uh. I've never been to. And that day <laughs> I had this thought, like, maybe I should just drive an hour and a half right now and go have lunch or something in Fargo and knock that one off the list. I was like, ah, no, I'll come back to North Dakota some other time. Well, that's going to be a trip now. <laughs> so, yeah, now that we know that, we'll have to get you there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So let me know. Maybe uh, maybe I'll have another invitation to come to Frazee, Minnesota and sneak go. over to North Dakota. Um, Dakota. But it's been 10 years. And uh, you, uh, so Mike, and you and Mike, I think, met maybe through some Catholic ministries. We did, um, yep. And then I remember when he was, uh, you know, living with me and we were, you know, then he, he went, kept going up to Minnesota to visit this young lady that he was interested in. And I said, and then actually, let me re- recollect, then he decided to move up there. Yes, mm-hmm. he did. And you're going to probably laugh at this, but, you know, Mike, I remember he was there during the dead of winter. It was awful. It was I the worst, forgot about worst winters we've had. Like, if anyone knows what the Metrodome is, it's where the Vikings play football. It used to be a bubble and it. It literally collapsed because we got 26 inches in, of snow in 24 hours. Wow. So it when was, did that happen? It was in January of, God, I don't even know what year. It would have probably oh, been like, like 10 years ago or something. Yeah. And what, well, it was before we got married. So it would have been a little bit longer than that, but um and I remember actually, like, it was an awful winter and he just kept complaining about how often we had to shovel snow. He hated the snow and he, he would complain about his nostrils freezing when he went to work and his eyelids freezing closed. And I just laughed. I was like, you're such a wimp. Um, but I grew up in, in the North, so it's different. Um, but so the Metrodome collapsed and he was actually in South Florida at a wedding and he called me and he said, I've been offered a job and I'm going to move back because Minnesota is just too cold. And I was like, well, have fun. I'm staying here. I got a great job not moving. <laughs> so long story short, I mean, and then two years later, we got married, but he moved back here and I stayed in Minnesota for a while. And then I moved to Florida. And But yeah, he hated Minnesota. Well, he loves Minnesota during the summer. He hates it during the winter. I do remember getting a text message from him during that winter when he was up there. And he literally, I just like the text was simply this. I'm standing here waiting for, uh, was it the train or I don't know. Yeah, he was waiting. Yeah. So he's waiting for the tram to go to work. Mm -hmm. And he said, my eyelids literally are frozen closed. (laughs) Yeah, because it was so I was wondering how he sent the text message. But, and you know, anyway, uh, (laughs) but, but I started laughing and I I think I texted him. I said, Mike, um, the thing is you need to bring that girl to Florida. Like that's the, that's the migration pattern that happens. It doesn't go from South yeah. to North. It goes from North to South. So yes. anyway, somehow he eventually, uh, must've yeah. convinced you and yes. you all live a, a, a nice, happy life in Tallahassee now. But like Me you too. said, I know, I always notice that you go to Minnesota for a good lengthy stay yes. in the winter. And part of that is doable because of probably the work Mike does in the policy arena and, you know, the legislative session doesn't take place during the summer. So t- quiet Tallahassee is a lot quieter. And nowadays you can probably work a little more remote. But also, I know you used to be a teacher and had yeah. the summers off and now you have some other job. So we're going to get into all these things of why we're interviewing Katie Williams right now. But uh, right now, before we get into it, um, can you just tell me a little bit uh, just the, the sort of job you have, the job title? We'll get into it a little bit later, but I just want to let everybody know uh, what you're what you're doing now. 
Yeah, I'm a three-star director with uh, Tupperware. And yes, like Tupperware, the stuff that your grandma owned um, or, you know, the big bowl that you puked in, but also made puppy chow in. And it was like the all in all bowl. Um, yeah, look at you. I love it. It has the measuring cup. Mm-hmm, I love it. So uh, my, I got this from my mom. I told her I was going to be interviewing you. Uh, I love and, it. <laughs> and she said, I have had this Tupperware. I mean, I'm telling you. Lifetime warranty. Mm-hmm. I, I think this has been around since I was a kid. We're um, Tupperware is 76 years old. And I think this one here is a little bit newer that she has. Newer. But not, I love it. not super new, <laughs> like, but it's like newer than that. You can tell by the color. Yeah. So anyway, I love it. Tupperware yeah, lasts that's forever. The beauty, that's the beauty of Tupperware. Like they've always had a lifetime warranty. And I think that that's what speaks for our company. Like even 76 years later, when everything is made so much differently, so much more differently. Um, and the quality is not, not the same as it used to be. Tupperware still stands behind their product because we still do have the same quality. So yeah, I'm a director with Tupperware and it is exactly what you say. Like people think of Tupperware as the clear things that they buy at Walmart and Target, but I call that fake wear because that's really not Tupperware. It's got to have the Tupperware yes. name on it, right? Mm-hmm. It does. Right there. Look at yep, all the scratches on the bottom of that thing. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I love it. Yep. That that's this is uh you know at least three maybe four decades old. So anyway, uh, uh well anyway, so Katie, uh, let's go back to the the early days of Katie Williams. Mm. Uh, I assume you were you born in Minnesota. I was I was born um, in a town ten miles from where I grew up. So yeah, yeah. Yep. Born and, and raised. I spent twenty twenty one years there until I um, went to co- well, I went to college and you know then moved out here. But yeah, I spent my entire life. Where did you go to college? I went to college at the University of Mary, a really small well at the time a really small Catholic school in Bismarck, North Dakota. But it's like a booming place now. Um, it's grown a lot. So. Well, I wouldn't um, yeah. know. I've never been to North Dakota. So that's right. Uh, <laughs> We're going to get you there. Don't you worry. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So you grew up um, as you were making your way. Uh, what was your first job in life? How Anything. Uh, so to reference the town I grew up in is a town of 1,700 people. And the area I live in is very much like that. So very small town, um, land of the 10,000 lakes. I grew up on a lake. As you walked out my back door, it was a lake. Um, so life kind of revolved around that during the summer. And as far as work, I was thinking, I'm like, I don't, my first job, I actually think I did two jobs at the same time. So my brother and I, during the summer mowed lawns, um, for our neighbors, um, our elder, el- elderly neighbors that, you know, needed their lawn mowed or our really rich neighbors that didn't want to mow their lawns. Um, so we did that together. And then, um, my other job, and this is the one I remember like most vividly learning a lot from <laughs> as a high schooler. Um, I was a cleaning lady for a resort that was on um, a lake that was near our house. Um, and I cleaned six cabins every Saturday morning. Um, How old were not, you then? I think I was 13. That's child labor. <laughs> yes, but yeah, yeah. Um Long and short, it was our neighbor friends and I did it with her. She kind of trained me when I was, I think I was 13. And then when I was 14, like I did some of it on my own. I jo- I, I kid when I say child labor, because a lot. I know there's there's child labor laws out there for a yes. lot, of good re- lot of good reasons. But also, um, I think people forget that, you know, so many people in 
especially in past generations, mm-hmm. you know, grew their work ethic as kids, sometimes yes. by no choice, right? Maybe you had, right. maybe you had a farm and your parents put you to work when you were five years old or whatever, doing something um, because things needed to get done. And I know people to this day that have had families that have farms or other things like that, that, you know, just work has to get done, but it also instills, instills a, a work ethic, oh, um, which, which perhaps, you know, carries on, you know, later in life. And, and when we look at a lot of the, you know, say minimum wage type jobs, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, working at a Taco Bell, like I did once when I was in college or something like that. Right. Uh, and, you know, those things, uh, they're, they're stepping stones. They help you for, for future, for future jobs. But you had, uh, uh, you know, you mowed lawns. I, I mowed lawn. I mowed my parents lawn. That's it. Uh, for, okay. we mowed our parents lawn too. I mean, we had to, yeah, do I don't that. remember mo. I don't remember. <laughs> we didn't get paid. Houses. Yeah. I was, right, exactly. I was not paid. Yeah. And, uh, and then the, uh, but, but, but being a cleaning lady and cleaning out these cabins, uh, what did you learn from those experiences and, and did anything uh, from those experiences kind of stick with you to, to today? Gosh. Yeah. So you talking about people having farms and having to work, like I get that. My mom is one of 13. Her mom passed away when she was 11. So they like rate, you know, like they, hmm. they raised one another and, you know, they had a hard work ethic because they had to, not because they chose it, but and the same with my dad he's one of eight and we have a family farm. I grew up, you know, helping bale hay and do things like that. So it is definitely generation to generation as you learn that work ethic. Um, So cleaning houses or cleaning cabins, what did I learn? Um, That it was gross uh, (laughs) because people come to the lake to have fun and then leave their mess, which is fine and good. Um, But I also, gosh, just like two things. So the woman that I worked with, her name's Percy and actually she lives in Florida now. Um, but, um, she was really good about teaching me why we cleaned the way we cleaned, like not just to like vacuum and not move anything or dust, but not move anything, but like to take pride in the fact that like these people want to be here and they want to be there because we leave it nice for them. Um, so she taught me like doing the extra things matter, like don't half-ass it because people notice it. And it's funny now because I have someone clean my house and when they miss things or don't move things, it makes me so angry because <laughs> I'm like, I'm paying you a lot of money to do this. Like, um, so she taught me that like details matter, like doing it the right way matters. Um, but then also I learned a lot about people like, and that seems kind of funny because I was cleaning a house, but like you could tell what kind of people were staying in every cabin, like by the food they ate, by the things they left or by the care, like, or by the care or lack of care they took of the cabin. Um, so it was really interesting. Like I learned to value the type of family that I grew up in and the way that I was raised, um, but appreciate other lifestyles and kind of see lifestyles that I probably wouldn't have seen otherwise, like living in a small town like that. Um, but you could definitely like, there was a difference when wealthy people were there and when it was just a whole bunch of college guys hanging out at the lake for the weekend. So, um, I learned a lot about people and I learned a lot about the type, the way you do your work matters. Mm, Those are good. Those are good lessons. And, and yeah, I could see how you learn about a lot of different types of people through the types of uh, messes or 
<laughs> that they leave uh, and um, without even knowing who they were uh, mm-hmm. or seeing exactly. them. So, uh, so you, so you, uh, okay. So that, that was, that was kind of early life, uh, some early work experience. You go to college, you come out of college. Tell me about some of the um, maybe first career experiences you had, you know, post-college. Mm-hmm. So the th- first, the job I would consider like career actually was in college. So my junior and senior year of college, I worked at a um, speech pathology clinic. I did their like aftercare program. So um, their kids would come in and do therapy, but then their parents couldn't pick them up until after work. So I like organized a program for those kids and uh, took care of them until their parents got them. Um, And my degree is in teaching. So uh, it fit in wonderfully and it allowed me to, you know, have some extra spending money in college. Um, But coming out of college, I actually did missionary work. So my first year out of college, I um, was a missionary and I traveled around in a 12 passenger van all around the United States. Um, and was that Net Ministries? Yes, Net Ministries. Yeah. I know they and do we, great work. And um, Mike, I think, was part of that as well. At some yes, point, yep, right? that's how we that's how we met. Yeah. Um, we never did missionary work together, but because we were both in the same company, we interacted and met. Um, so yeah, I did that for a year. And then I actually worked for the company as well for a year. Um, God does funny things. Like I had this whole plan that I was going to go to Chicago and teach inner city. And then he's like, Nope, here you are. You're going to be a missionary. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I did that for, t- I worked for net for a year and I volunteered for them for a year. And then I got my first teaching job. Um, and I taught in, I taught in South St. Paul. So, I mean, not inner city, but in the, in the cities in Minnesota. So like the the most populated area, what people know of Minnesota, not the beautiful part of Minnesota. Um, but I taught, so my teaching job was unique. I actually didn't have my own classroom. I taught kids that were super high and super low. So kids that were, that needed to be challenged and kids that were struggling. Um, so I pulled, they pulled out of the classroom and I was able to kind of give them some extra love. You know, that's really interesting. And I I wonder if you have some thoughts on that because, um, you know, a lot of times right now in education, I know you've spent a lot of time in the teaching field as well. Um, but we talk about, there's the kids that are, you know, for lack of a better term, let's call them average, right? They're Mm -hmm. the, they're the middle of the pack or whatever. Right. And, and, and then, but it seems like you have the, I, when I was a kid, what did they call those classes? Gifted classes? Gifted. Mm-hmm. They would never use that term today. That was in the 80s um, because to call some some group of kids gifted, it sounds like other kids are not gifted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but gifted is kind of like an interesting term that was used for a long time because it was like. I feel like it still is used. I think it's the gifted. It? I think so. I can't, I can't remember. I feel like, but. Well, I think it's fine, but it's just, um, I just was thinking about that, like, Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, you know, because when you look at an athlete like Michael Jordan, like as an example, yes. I think we would all sit there and go, I mean, he's clearly worked hard, but he's also yeah. very gifted, right? Yes. Very gifted, yes. right? So when you think about these kids who are very advanced, you know, oh, that makes sense, right? They're gifted. So anyway, so, but we pull those kids out like they did there. And then, but then you also have kids who are struggling. Like you said, they're not mm-hmm. keeping up with the class. So you've got to pull them out in a different direction and give them a little extra help. So it's, but it's interesting because you've, you worked with both sets mm-hmm. of the kids who needed the extra help, but also the kids that needed 
uh, what would you say uh, to be challenged more? Because the the, the average because their brain works, their brain works in a different way. They they need yeah. to be they need to be engaged in a different way, and they do. They need to be challenged because otherwise they get bored with education, and then there's behavior issues, and you want them to love learning. So um, on both ends, like the the kids that are struggling, the beauty of taking and giving them extra practice and extra love and help is because you don't want them to hate school because it is hard. But then the same on the opposite end where those strong advanced learners, they could hate school too, because it's boring. And right. Exactly. Um, so, you, so being able to work with them and engage them is, is important. Well, I think that's great that, you know, educational institutions are able to do that and recognize that because um, you don't want to just treat every, no kid is the same. Uh, everybody's, should be, you know, taught to their abilities and their levels and their engagement. And so I think that's, that's really great. Um, so you did that um, in Minnesota. This was yes. a post post net ministries. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And then um, you, at some point um, you decided to move to Tallahassee. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think was your first jobs in Tallahassee also as a teacher. Yes. Uh-huh. I taught at um, it's called Riley elementary school. Um, I taught at two different schools here in Tallahassee, Riley and then Fort Braden, both um, the worst of the worst, if you if you were looking from the outside. So uh, Riley's in Frenchtown, which is the projects here in town. Um, that Let me tell you, that was an eye-opening experience as a Midwesterner. Um, I went into it pretty much, I mean, 99.9% African-American school. Um, for a girl who grew up with no culture, that was a shock. Like... <laughs> Um, but it was really good. It really made me the teacher in person I am today. I went into my classroom praying and left my classroom praying. Um, but that was what kindergarten, first grade. I taught kindergarten first yet at that school. And it was, yeah. Oh, I, I look at my years and just think, man, what a, what an, what a thing that so many people don't even realize exists in their own city or in their own town. Like these kids, they just lack so much as far as love, homes, I mean, everything, education to, to break the chain is hard. Um, but I loved my experience there. Um, what was, you know, I hear a lot of um, teachers who work with maybe students in very challenging situations like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, you, you think as a teacher that the number one thing is curriculum, the education, all these mm-hmm. things. But I hear that teachers have so many other things that they have to be concerned about with these children. What were some of the biggest things uh, that these kids face? Like, uh, you know, maybe maybe some examples of of some of the challenges that you that also impacted your ability to teach them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there was a drug bust right outside my classroom. Um, the kid was a kindergartner. He was the carrier. He had it in his backpack. He had no idea. Wow. And the cops bust, busted the family. Um, so, I mean, just think of that. Like at seven o'clock in the morning, you're walking to school and you're already being dealt. Who knows what? I also had a mom coming completely undressed. Like, um, and she asked for a kid and I said, no, you can come back. Like, you can come back when you're ready to get your completely kid. Completely undressed? Like, well, shirt on, like okay. buttons totally unexposed, like undone pants undone like just different world like situations like she she was not completely coherent and let me tell you like I value these parents like I worked so hard with these parents as well but they just don't know any better like it's the life they've always seen and they've always lived and to change that is hard 
Um, so honestly, like those kids, I mean, so many kids and not just low end kids, but high, like every kid has their own life situation. And I think that's, I think this just is a life lesson in general. Like you can't judge the book by the cover. Like you have no idea what is going on in anyone's house, what happened in the car before they got out. Like, honestly, my biggest job as a teacher was to love my kids and to, and to give them a safe environment for eight hours. Like, I don't care if I taught them a dang thing. Like, hopefully I did, you know, like, and that was my goal, one of my goals, but my my ultimate purpose as their teacher was to keep them safe and to make sure that they knew they were loved and that they mattered because some kids don't feel that. And if you don't feel that, what's the purpose in life? Like, why should I learn? Why should I do anything? Like if I don't matter. Um, so yeah, no, every teacher <laughs> teaching is like the smallest part of their job. Like, you know, you're a doctor, you're a mom, you're, I mean, you're everything to them because they're with you for eight hours and yeah. I and mean, roughly how many people. students were in your classroom during those years at Riley oh my Elementary? My I remember my first job at Riley. So there in when I started teaching in Florida, there was like a a thing. If you had more than 21 students, then you got a fine. Um, but the fine was cheaper than starting a whole new classroom. I don't know, it was something weird with politics. But so my like first the school job, was fined? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's changed now. It's not the same, but, yeah. um, so my first year I had 29 students and then like, I don't know, five or six weeks into the school year, they, they hired another teacher. And then I went down to 21. Um, but keep in mind, 29 students completely new to the South. All these kids thought I was, I didn't belong because my skin was completely different than theirs. Um, but yeah, so on average I had around 20 kids in most of my classes. Um, but that first year was like huge and crazy. Yeah, I bet. And then, um, did you, how, how long did you, were, were you, uh, in the, in teaching down here in Florida and maybe also in Minnesota, like combined what were, what, how so I taught years two years in Minnesota and I taught three years in Tallahassee. My last what? year was at, Fort, my last year was at Fort Braden, which is like kind of, it's very different than Tallahassee. It's very country, like way out on highway 20, um, actually a lot like my hometown, which I loved. And, um, the administrator was very different than any administrator had ever experienced. Um, he's actually, he just, he's deceased. He passed away this year, um, from COVID, uh, mm. but, um, an amazing, amazing man. Um, you say administrator, was that like the principal? The principal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, his name was Jimbo Jackson. He's incredible. Um, but, uh, just a very different experience, still families that were considered low income. Um, but a different experience because the culture out in that community was different. Like families really stuck together and valued education and just a different, a little less entitlement per se than my first. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you've got as the teacher, you're, you know, like, again, from an outsider's perspective, we think it's a very specific thing that you're literally teaching, you're focused on the textbooks, the curriculum, all these things, but you're having to deal with all these issues that each kid has that they're bringing in. But what's also the flip side of that is teaching is, you know, in my viewpoint, and maybe many people's viewpoint is not just the responsibility of the teacher and the school. It's also the responsibility mm -hmm. of the parents and other people around them. And so, 
but when you don't have that parental structure, that family structure, that culture, like you just mentioned, that part of the teaching equation also goes away. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, gosh, probably eight or 10 years ago now, I, I was sitting there listening to a man who um, runs the, at the time he was the head or the founder of the children's movement of Florida. Okay. And I'm forgetting the name, but my friend Vance Alupus, who I'm sure Mike knows as well, because Vance yeah. has just recently been a state legislator. But prior to his time being a state legislator, he also helped run this organization, the Children's Movement of Florida. And they talked about, they gave this presentation at one of the events I was at, um, talking about the how much of your brain is formed in like the first five years of your life. Yes. I think Michael went to this same talk. I remember him talking yeah. about Yeah. Uh, he may have been there at the same thing with me. Yeah. And, and, you know, cause they got around, they were really trying to, you know, have an influence on a lot of policymakers to help them understand. And part of it was just to also show that, you know, I know Vance talked about this a lot with um, depending on the zip code you lived in, you could literally be, you know, he, he was from Miami. So he was like, you know, you could literally be a couple miles away growing up and your brain formation is totally different because yes. of your, your life situation versus somebody else. And I think about, you know, my parents uh, read to me when I was a kid. I know my brother, he, he reads to his little kids and his wife. And I'm sure you guys do that too. Um, but being able to take the time to help your child learn from home is is so mm -hmm. important. And when you're not getting that, and then there's all these other opposite things going on, you mm -hmm. know, abusive households, single family households, no, no parent households. Uh, drugs, gangs in your neighborhood, everything like that. Um, learning is like the last thing and you're, you might be learning something else too, but the brain formation is not happening. And that could be putting mm -hmm. kids behind for many, many years, maybe the rest of their life. Um, so anyway, but uh, we could go down that path, but um, <laughs> I, I uh, what, so ultimately um, what was the impetus that uh, where you left? Was it, was it, was it starting a family, having kids? Was it, was it other factors? Yeah. So we had Adeline, our oldest, who's eight and, um, two things kind of. So, um, when I was pregnant, I remember going to different daycares with my mom and walking in and never telling anyone that it was, I was a teacher. I didn't want them to know that. I just wanted to give, have them give me all the information without them knowing that I taught. Um, so I could get a real feel for the school. Um, but I just remember thinking, God, I cannot leave my kid here. Like I have a degree in doing this. Like how can I give my kid to someone else when they're three months old for, for the whole day? Like they're going to spend more time with my baby than I am. And they're going to see all those life moments. So um, I left one place crying and I just came home and told Michael, I'm like, ah, I don't think I can do this. Like, I just don't. Um, and actually the day Adeline was born, Mike received a promotion Um and it covered the difference that we would have needed once my income taking off childcare, it covered that same amount. So um, that was a pretty clear answer to us that God was, you know, providing and that I could stay at home. So um, for the first two years, I stayed at home and I was just mom. Um, I shouldn't say just moms have a lot of duties. Um, but I was mom. That's, a, and, that's the most important job there is. Yes, indeed. And the most rewarding and one of the hardest. Um, but, uh, so I momed for two years and then we had Gianna 17 months after we had Adeline. Um, so I had two very young kids at home. Um, and I struggled with postpartum 
um, a lot and um, lots of, I didn't struggle with like darkness. I struggled with anger and feeling like I wasn't worthy as a mom and like, I should be loving my kid more. Like what's going on? Like postpartum is so, there's so much and so many levels of postpartum that people don't know about. Um, so I just really struggled. And um, my counselor at the time said, Katie, like, I think part of it is figuring out like, what is it that you're missing from life? Like I was on meds, I was exercising and I was doing all the things they say to do. Um, but she talked about like, what is it that you're, you're missing? That's not making you, you. Um, so we prayed a lot about that. And, um, someone presented the opportunity to me to work for a different direct sales company. Um, and it fit my niche. It had to do with education. I sold, uh, children's books. Um, and I'm very goal driven. Um, and I didn't realize how important that was to me (laughs) until I had kids. Like you can't really set a goal for a two-year-old. Um, so or for yourself, was, right? I mean, yeah, like, right. Like yeah. today, my goal is to change 10 diapers. No, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's awful. Um, and you never know, you know, I think that's the other thing. Like it's very unpredictable. Like your day, right? Like, yeah. Uh, like you have to be flexible. There's no question in that. Yeah. Um, so I joined this other direct sales company and I loved, loved, loved my experience with them. It, it was enlightening. Like it really brought me out of the depths of like that anger and darkness, um, and an amazing community that, you know, um, was supportive in that too. So, so I remember, um, maybe it was an Instagram account or Facebook page or something. Book lady, Katie, book lady, Katie. Yep. Was mm-hmm. this, was I, this tied to this job? Yes. Uh huh. That- yeah. So I sold, yep. I sold children's books. Um, and it's funny people in Tallahassee, like I would walk into a store and they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, my name's actually Katie Williams, but yes. <laughs> Like, um, it was very funny, but yeah, it's uh, almost like you became a character in your yeah, story. Like no one identified me as like my name. It was just this like, um, but now it's the same thing. People call me Tupperware lady, Katie, which is, I love it. It's fun. Um, so yeah, I did that for two and a half years and randomly one of my friends who sold books with me, um, she and I met actually on a incentive trip that I earned with the book business. Um, and so I met her on this trip and she, she went to Tupperware, um, a year and a half before I did. Um, when she left, we actually all said like, she's crazy. What in the world is she doing? Like, why is she going to Tupperware? That's for like old people. It has to be going out of business. Um, and so we kind of mocked her and we're, we're like, <laughs> like, like, we totally questioned her decision because she was incredibly successful in the book world. And to like, to leave her team of hundreds of people and the money she was making um, and just kind of to jump ship. We were like, what is she doing? Um, but she asked me to host a party like so many times. And I kept telling her no, because I'm like, Tupperware, who needs Tupperware? Um, I just buy it from Walmart and Target because um, <laughs> it's cheaper. Uh, but so she and I were good friends any, anyways beyond that. Um, and one day I asked her, I said, Megan, like, I just feel like I'm missing something in my leadership that like, I'm not able to help these people soar like they want to, like, I wanted to help my team members have financial freedom. Like that was part of the reason they joined the company. Um, and I just felt like I wasn't able to do that as much as I wanted to. So I asked Megan if I could watch her lead and her response was, no, you can't because that's against our company's policy 
but you can join my team for $15 and then you can watch. And I looked at Michael and I was like, $15, that's a great investment. I can do that. Um, <laughs> but then, so one week in, um, I realized very quickly that not all companies are created equal um, in any work field. Um, and in the direct sales world, this was very evident to me that the leadership that she had, the, the upline that she had, and the way that Tupperware values their consultants and knows how to work in the direct sales world. I mean, they've been around for 76 years. They get it. Like they've been through the rough, they've been through the great, um, and they just have a, an amazing system and great compensation, uh, compensation. Um, and Michael said to me, I, I think you're in the wrong business. And I was like, but I'm not passionate about Tupperware. Like, why would I be passionate about Tupperware? But yeah, I told you, were, you were a, you were a teacher and you were passionate about children's books. That's right. Exactly. And yeah. that seemed right. Like this fits me. How does Tupperware fit me? I hate cooking. Like I wasn't raised to cook. Like, I don't know. It just wasn't my thing. Um, but Michael's like, I think you should just give it a shot. And I was like, okay, well I'll do the 13 weeks. Cause Tupperware has a 13 week period where you can earn all these prizes. I'm goal oriented. I want all those prizes. Um, so I gave it the 13 weeks and in those 13 weeks, excuse me, I promoted to director, earned a free car, earned two free trips. Um, and it's funny because even though in I 13 I, weeks, yeah. In 13 weeks. Wow. You're good. I guess. And if, if <laughs> Francisco, we had COVID when I started. So insane. Like <laughs> it was the beginning you had, of that. You physically had COVID. Oh yeah. All of us, even the baby, our baby was one and he had COVID. So okay, I so remember there's a, lot, there, there's a lot to unpack here. I just want to go back for a few, few seconds here. Um, yeah. So first of all, your first step from, you know, so, okay. So you're out of teaching, you're parenting mm -hmm. two, two children. Um, at what point, uh, what, how old were the kids when you, you kind of were like, I need to do something goal, goal oriented and go back into mm -hmm. some kind of work. Jenna was like four months old. So Adeline would have been like two ish. Two. Mm -hmm. So it was like so, two years after. Yeah. So, uh, so you're out of, yeah. So you're, you've now, you've been out of teaching or so for two years plus. Mm -hmm. And, um, so you decide to go like, so direct sales, that's really interesting. I don't know that I've had, I mean, we're 116 episodes into this podcast. Mm -hmm. Maybe I have, and I'm just not thinking of it in the right way, but I, I, you know, we haven't really talked directly about direct sales, Yes, like mm -hmm. a direct sales kind of, uh, and, and this is something I'm not going to say anybody can do, but I mean, it's, 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 you are recruiting from a wide variety of probably different types of people and backgrounds and ages and all sorts of things. Um, so there's a lot of different people that can probably think about doing a job like yes. this. Mm -hmm. And some might just do it as a side hustle to start and maybe grow. Right. So there's lots of, lots of possibilities here. And it sounds like your friend, I forget, what was her name? Megan. But, Megan. So Megan, you know, was a powerhouse in this field, yeah. right? And she, mm -hmm. you saw her doing this full-time work in children's books and migrate over to Tupperware. Um, so what, what, but going back to the start, what was it about direct sales? What, how did you learn about it? How did you get into it? I mean, and it's literally sales. It's you're mm -hmm. selling people. It's not just teaching people or young children uh, things or uh, you know, being almost like their second mom <laughs> at school. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what, yeah. So what was the initiative that got you to go into direct sales? 
well, just that I needed something to be me. Um, but it also, like we talked about, like, do I go back and be an aide in a classroom? Do I like, you know, like, do I just how'd need you to find, it? how'd you do find it? this job, this job? How'd you find that role? Someone had an online party um, and that's how I found out about it. Uh, um, I had actually been introduced to it like a year before, um, but said this no. This is the, the children's party. book. This is still yeah, the, the children's, children's book. Yeah. Yep. So said no to the party invitation and just kind of passed it. Um, but then as the kids got older and they loved books, then I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll check those books out. Um, one of my friends sold and I ended up joining underneath her. Um, she was a grandma. She wasn't really selling. She was buying for the discount and sharing the books with her kids. But I think the like the biggest thing was is when it fit fit what I was looking for. And two, like I was a stay at home mom, so I had to have something that I could still stay at home with my kids, but do on my own time. And that's the beauty of direct sales is that you really fit it where it works in your life. Like for Michael and I, I worked at night because the kids were asleep, and two nights a week two nights a week, I would party and then I'd be done. Um, and I didn't have to leave the house cause I did it all virtually. I mean, there were times where I did in home parties or went to like, um, vendor events and those kind of things. Um, but it, it worked with our schedule and it still allowed us to have the life that we had chosen, like to not miss out so on those. It, it, it provide, it's, it's a, it's a career that, that could provide some flexibility uh, mm -hmm. You could do the work when you want around your schedule, especially as a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Um, yep. So you're doing that. And and how long were you engaged uh, in the children's books in that direct sales? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. And or maybe it was from nope, three. I was with them for three years. Three years. And and then you went from there to the Tupperware? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And and when I transitioned, so I didn't quit selling the books. I was um I was still going to keep my dis um like I said like I wasn't totally sold on Tupperware so um but I gave it a shot and then when I had as much success as I did as quickly as I did the way Tupperware works is once you're a director you can't work for another company so like it would be like being the CEO of a company and then also working for another company that's silly um if I'm going to be a face of our company I can't be promoting two two different things so um, so I gave up my title, um, in Usborn and, or the Usborn in the book company. Um, like I said, gave like I the, loved, you gave up the book lady Katie titles, really. I gave up the book lady Katie yeah. title and took the Tupperware lady Katie title on. Um, and it's funny because I said, like, cooking is not my passion, like, that's not my thing. But I've realized in any business, it's about finding the why, the why for yourself and the why for your customer. So um, for me, the why is I don't like the kitchen. Like I'm not a great cook um, and meals stress me out. Uh, so Tupperware has made that so much easier. I mean, fast, quick meals. I can get I can get a home cooked meal on the table in less than 15 minutes because of some of our products that just make it so much easier. Um, and I don't have to set the table in my kids love to help me cook now because mom's doing that and they see it. And um, when I say I don't have to set the table, like we don't have glass in our house because um, I had one experience <laughs> during COVID. Someone brought us a meal and a glass bowl shattered all over. And our baby was sitting there and it freaked me out because I was like, just give glass over him. Like no one moves, stay on your chairs, like until we get this cleaned up. 
And now I don't have, ever have to worry about that. Like my kids set the table, they get everything. Nothing's going to break. I know if they drop it, it's just fine. It's safe. Um, it gives them responsibility. It makes them feel a part of it. Um, and they love it. They, they, they're like their own little Tupperware people. They can like go live and sell my Tupperware. Um, so yeah. It, so speaking it, of Tupperware. Yeah. Tupperware was fa- the founder of Tupperware came from Orlando, Florida. Do you know a little bit about that story? Yeah. So his name is Earl Tupper. It was a he. Yes. Earl Tupper. I just imagine Tupperware must have been created by a woman. But so a woman took Tupperware and made it successful, but it was created by <laughs> um, <laughs> behind every man. There is a good woman. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> so Earl Tupper created um, the Tupperware concept. Um the Tupperware name and all of those things that you see, I'm not going to say any of those fake wear names, but everything that you see at um, Walmart, Target, those kind of things. Cheap, those you are mean names. cheap plastic crap? Yes, cheap yeah. plastic crap that you have to replace <laughs> because it melted in the microwave or, you know, it broke when you tried to take it out of the freezer, all those things. Um <laughs> So he created the format of that, like Tupperware is the brand name. It was the beginning of all of those products. And his goal ultimately was um, to give people a product that they could take things home in and to create things in um, as an experience, like not just cooking, but like, here's this beautiful bowl that I cooked it in. Um, And it made life easier and also helped, um, helped the modern family. Um, so that's kind of where it came from. He was trying to sell it in um, big name stores and those kind of like, I don't know what they call them, like, you know, yeah, big like department stores. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so that's kind of where he started and it wasn't going well. Um, so he hired a woman named Brownie Wise and um, had her like kind of be the face of Tupperware. So she would go into these stores and she would sell it and she would talk about it and all those things. And she had the idea to bring it in to the home because she knew that the average woman didn't go shopping and didn't have the time. They were all at home taking care of their kids in that generation, 76 years ago, that was pretty common. So she had the idea of taking this product into the home and showing women what it was all about and why they needed it. Um, And that's where it took off. And that's where the direct sales world started is home parties um, from Brownie Wise being hired by Tupperware. And so Earl Tupperware. Earl Tupper. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. Earl Tupper. And then he Mm -hmm. created Tupperware. Um, I don't know. He he wasn't the one from Orlando, right? He was from, I think, Massachusetts. Headquar- headquarters is in Orlando. I don't know. Oh, I, I, I want to say Brownie Wise might be the person that was from Orlando. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know place wise. I can look it up for you. But maybe they just mo- maybe they just end up moving it there. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not remember- sure why headquarters is in Orlando, but it is. And it's it's a really fun place. If you ever get to go and visit it, they have some really cool. You can visit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a huge, huge corporate office there and there's gardens all around um really cool fountains different tupperware like things and it's really neat and you can go in and you can see the history of tupperware so they have um like a store where you can buy tupperware that you can't buy anywhere else you can't buy from a consultant you can only get it at corporate office Um, and then they have different like pictures and kind of timelines so you can see the history of tupperware now was there a movie about 
Tupperware? There's not a, a movie, but um, well, I guess you can call it a movie. Um, the Marvelous Miss Maisley right now on Netflix. Okay. Um, features a lot of Tupperware. Miss Maisley has Tupperware parties and wears Tupperware on her head and, you know, all those fun things. Um, it's kind of back of like her life when she, you know, her story, but they incorporate Tupperware into it. Um, yeah. And of course, I mean, it's a partnership with them. Um, I don't know how that was started. Like if she asked, because, you know, it is something that she remembers from her life or whatever, but um because Miss Miss Maisley is a real person, like it's based off of a true story. So, um, yeah. So, and but we have, I mean, we have like a partnership with national parks and different things. It's funny you'll see Tupperware in now that you like now that you're listening to this and I've heard the word Tupperware. Like, if you watch certain like shows, there's random Tupperware like thrown in things. Um, also, like, um, gosh, what is it? Uh, the, the park association, the national park association, if you go to a national park, you'll see Tupperware there. Um, we're a partner with them. We have eco-friendly water bottles and snack containers, um, to help, you know, help say, help, help the environment, safe environment. And part of our product, um, earnings goes to them to help, to, to help with that. Um, I want to think, I want to say Lil, it's not Lily Pulitzer. Vera Bradley, Vera Bradley. We have a partnership with Vera Bradley, like their backpacks match our, some of our stuff. Um, so, so, okay. So let's get back to, uh, so, so you, you joined Tupperware and mm-hmm. um, you've been with the company now, how long? A year Roughly. and a half. Year and a half. Mm-hmm. Well, you've done a lot in a year and a half. Cause I, I've seen a lot of postings uh, and that means you joined <laughs> them in the middle of COVID, right? Yes. I mean, in the middle yep. of the pandemic and when, after yep. that started, so, um, so interesting. Uh, so, so let's just say what, what have you, where was the role you started as? Uh, I know you had this 13 week program that you were introduced. What yep. were you doing then? What, what, like, are you throwing Tupperware parties? Are they in person? Are they online? How does that all work? And, and then, and then can you tell us to the evolution of the role you're at to where you're at now? Of course. Um, so I started as a consultant. I paid $15 to join Tupperware. Um, I joined with a virtual kit, so I didn't get any product um, because remember, I wasn't going to sell Tupperware. I was just watching leadership. Um, <laughs> I'm a very stubborn, like opinionated person. So I had like my plan. Um, so um, so I started there. I hosted a party and Megan, my friend, taught me kind of what that looks like and if I wanted to sell how to do that. Um, and then when I said I would, you know, try it for the 13 weeks, she she helped me along and encouraged me, taught me how to do a party, taught me how to deal with customers, um, taught me how to deal with recruiting people, like bringing people onto the business um, and the mindset of not being scared to share. But like for us, I really and I truly believe this is like everyone deserves the opportunity. I want to give it to everyone because it literally can be life changing. Like if you want to change your life, like you can. I mean, maybe this isn't your platform, but something else might be. So I'm never not going to offer it to someone because I don't know who needs it and who doesn't. Um, so yeah, so I went from consultant. Um, and I spent kind of two weeks in the wayside, like, oh, I'm just doing parties. This is cool. I'm earning these prizes. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then about two weeks in, this is where we had COVID, like all of us were pretty sick. Um, 
I had seen in those two weeks the difference of my income from the old company and the amount of work I was doing and the support I had. So the resources and the support was incredibly different. Um, and it made work easier and it made my income much more profitable. So that work I was doing seemed more worth it because I was producing more in less time. Um, so, so that was kind of my wishy-washy two weeks. And then I called Megan and said, okay, I think I want to be a director. Um, and, and I, I think my vision for that was going back to what I said earlier, like I truly saw like part of the reason I loved my book business is because I could help moms that needed to make a little bit extra money. Um, and then my goal in my book business was to be able to really like pay for our kids' private school and those type of things to bring in a significant amount of money to make a difference in our family. But I never felt like I was able to do that in my three years there. And in my first month at Tupperware, I saw that that was a reality. Like I can make a career level income, like, and the people here are here to help me get there. Like, I remember my upline saying to me, like, how much money would you like to make a month? And I think I threw out like, oh, well, you know, 3000 would be like a dream goal for our family, like consistently to not like where there were times in my book business that I earned that, but it was very up and down, like, and I had to work my ass off, excuse my language. Um, but, <laughs> uh, and they laughed at me and they're like, we can do that next month. And they weren't joking. Like it literally could happen that fast. Like they set up a plan for me. They said, if you do this, you'll be able to make that. Um, and we still a year and a half later say like, okay, what do we want to make? What's our goal? Um, and then we set up a plan and, you know, we have the tools and steps to get there. And, um, so from that first two weeks, I went from consultant, which I was ultimately just doing parties, sharing the product, asking people to join my team. Um, and then within those next 10, 11 weeks, I recruited, I don't even know what the number is. I, I have to look back, but enough people um, I, that I created four managers. So four people that were leading other people, each person, each manager has to lead three other people in the sales business um, in active sales, like not just joining and then hanging out, but actually selling the product. Um, and so I had four people under me selling and working with other people. So then it became not just selling, but teaching people how to sell and teaching people how to work with others uh, like they had taught me. Um, and then in the past year, um, I've become a director and I'm a three-star director. So now I have all these managers behind below me, but I also have three other people that have managers and consultants and other people below them. So there's a manager, a star manager, an exec manager. So there's three levels of being a manager. And ultimately that's just a lot more people and a lot more team sales underneath you. Um, and then there's a director. And then every time you add, so like every time you add a director, then you become one more star up. So, um, and so now it's, I still sell the product. I do it every week. I love it. I love sharing it. Um, but 2080 of my job, 8020, um, is also leading people and teaching how teaching people how to lead and supporting them. And and 
that's my why. Like I, I have two whys. Like I love bringing fun back to the kitchen because that's what it did for us. Um, but I also love literally being able to help people change their lives, like keep the utilities on or like in during COVID where people were out work and to be able to keep their lights on, um, to, to help people have a free car sitting in their driveway. Because in our situation, Michael's car was like dying and we had put it in the shop so many times and then boom, Tupperware called me. They're like, your free car's ready. Come to Orlando and get it. Um, I mean, who really in their so, right? Okay. I've got a couple questions about this. Um, when you say you got, you earned a car, mm-hmm. is that like, like a free car? Like for how many years for, is it just, you own it? Like, so kind of both answers to that. So, um, it literally is a free car. Like Michael and I drove to Orlando, the lady met us in the Tupperware parking lot, handed us the keys and said, here's your car. And I'm like, who in their right mind? Has someone just hand them a car? Like that's so crazy. What kind of car are we talking about? Uh, it's a Nissan Rogue. So that's a pretty nice car. It is. Mm-hmm. It's a very <laughs> nice car. Um, and it has like. What huge... would that car cost retail value? Uh, I think uh, it's especially now. 28 or 29. Yeah, um, so we're getting. With, yeah. I mean, that's. that's yeah. Nice with, and with today's market, who knows? Yeah. Um, today's market, it might be more. But Michael, <laughs> Michael goes, I've never been so excited to be a moving billboard for Tupperware. Like, <laughs> so does the car have Tupperware on it? Oh yeah. It has a huge word on it. It says Tupperware. It's all over yeah. the side. It's like a car um, wrap. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would um, drive a car for Tupperware if they give me a free car, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Like if you're going to give me a free car. So ultimately what it is, is they lease the vehicles um, and they, and then we drive them. So they're free to us. They pay the lease and they also pay, um, all of our insurance. So they pay, they cover our insurance and they take care of our, like if there were accidents or anything like that. So like this morning, actually there's a leak in our tire. So Michael hopped onto um, my app, my Tupperware wheels app and, you know, reported that there was an issue and it was fixed for free. Um, So that is so fascinating to me. This is a company. I mean, literally, I think most people like me, I, I bet, I bet people, uh, you know, half my age probably don't even know what's going on in Tupperware. Right. Yeah. No, um, of course. like we're probably at it. I'm probably at an age and, and, and that like we remember, want, we have yeah. some remembrance of these Tupperware parties. I, I think a lot of people probably don't even know that Tupperware parties still go on. They but don't. the fact of the matter that this is a company that has, is so structured mm-hmm. with all these incentives for their employees and their consultants and everything that they have not just an app because I'm sure there's a a general Tupperware app, right? Like Mm -hmm. buy Tupperware, just like Best Buy has an app or whatever. Um, But you have an app for car, for the Tupperware car care. That's Mm -hmm. what it sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. Tupperware wheels app. That's just so fascinating. So how many cars or is Tupperware, I mean, does Tupperware have their own insurance company or they partner with an insurance company? I figured you were going to ask that. I'm like, I have no idea how many people drive cars. Um, you have to be, be sizable to have an app. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a director to drive cars. Um, like just on my team, there's four that, that could be driving cars. Some people choose to take the car cash instead of the actual car um, because it helps their family more. They have two cars mm-hmm. that are already paid for or whatever it may be. Um, but like, I think about my larger team, so it's called my org. Um, I think there are 200 of us 
um, in upper level leadership. And I would say at least 75% of those people drive cars. So even that's just hours, like that's a hundred, you know, 175 people per se are driving cars. Um, And then, and then it's not only driving cars, like the Nissan Rogue is the bottom level. We've earned three levels. Um, Mm. So I think there's like six or seven levels. I can't even remember. Uh, like we can earn an Escalade. All so when you things. when you get to the new the next level, is it just like driving the Rogue back down to the headquarters and uh, exchanging it for another car? It's a little of? different. It's a little different right now, simply because of the computer chip issue. Like, yeah. um, so it, the fleet cars are slower to be produced right now because they're trying to send them to car lots instead of fleets. Um, so I'm going to stay in this car until the level that I want is available. So I know this sounds funny, but I want a minivan. Um, Michael, Michael actually drives our Tupperware car. I still drive my van. I don't, I don't drive the Tupperware car very often because I love hands-free and I love that our kids can just easily hop into the van. So we've earned the minivan. There's just not one available right now. Um, so when it becomes available, then I'll get it. Um, and I want to go to, I want to go to Tallahassee <laughs> and just sit by whatever agency Michael is working at now <laughs> and watch him roll into work in the Tupperware car. Francisco, it was so I have to tell you a fun story just because you'll appreciate <laughs> this. Um, uh, Michael had a meeting. Where was he at? At the Tallahassee chamber, I think. I don't remember. He was at a meeting and there was a camera crew outside recording like a commercial or something and someone in the meeting goes are they filming a tupperware commercial out there and michael's like actually no that's my car (laughs) but he just so happened to be like parked where they were filming i was like that was good advertising did he add did he add that's my car and are you interested in some tupperware today Well, and then people are like why do you drive a tupperware car and he's like oh well my wife sells tupperware and we earned a free car and so it was funny. Like, he's like, it was so funny because they all thought that they were recording a Tupperware commercial, but really it was just like some Tallahassee advertisement or something. Yeah, that's funny. So in addition to earning cars, you've earned trips. Now, yeah. I got a little note from you that you've earned over nine trips. Yeah, I've stopped counting, which I know, I feel like that sounds really so silly. And my question but- is, was that all from Tupperware or is this combined between the two different jobs? I didn't come by. I earned two trips when I worked for the book business. Um, You've earned over over nine. You can't you can't even keep track trips. So yeah, tell me I, I started counting. What kind of like trips were these trips just for you? And I know you've taken some trips with Michael, but tell me the types of trips you've uh, maybe some some examples. So each trip is different. So um, there's a dollar amount attached, and and also like a recruiting goal, or they they set them up differently. So like you have to have a certain amount of growth. Um, you have to, you know, show over this amount of time, you have this much growth or in this amount of time, you, um, sell this much worth of Tupperware, you and your team or you yourself, each one is set up a little differently. So there's a layout when they, when they, um, you know, launch a trip promotion, this, this is how you earn it. And they give you the sheet and you map it out and you figure out how you can earn it. Um, so some of them have been with our corporate Tupperware. So like, People all across the board um, can go and can earn it. Um, some of them have just been me. Like Michael hasn't traveled with me. I earned it and just I got to go. 
Um, and, some, and is this a trip that you go and it's like a it's like a conference with other Tupperware people or is it just a trip anywhere like just a fun trip? So it's I mean, honestly, it's just a trip. So I will tell you that. I mean, they're all paid for like everything we go to our foods covered, our our airline tickets are covered, our hotel is covered. Like one of them and I went on, I mean that was like the wheel of fortune or something. Yeah. It's it's incredible. Sometimes I'm like, am I really living this weird dream? Like, is this really real? Like the one of the trips I went on, I was actually in Fort Lauderdale. Um, but they flew me down, even though I could have drove, they flew me down. Um, not only did they cover like all of our expenses, they gave us a $200 gift card and said, go get things for your kids. Like go get a massage, do whatever you want. Uh, that's what I mean. Like Tupperware just knows and values their consultants. Like they know how to keep you because they're going to, I mean, spoil you and pamper you and <laughs> do what I mean, and it makes a difference, like being valued for what you do and for who you are and not, and that's what I'm like, that's what I love about Tupperware. It's not just about oh, well, she sold this much Tupperware, so she's going on this trip. But like you go on the trip and corporate headquarters, people like the people are amazing. Like I'm Facebook friends with them. Like I talked to one of them yesterday, just sent him a chat because Michael needed a favor. He needed. So do something. they have a whole division at Tupperware that just runs trips? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do they do they want to partner with Fearless Journeys? Uh, <laughs> I, I do some group trips. Nah. So if Tupperware is listening, you know, uh, maybe we can... Um, Send some of your people on a fearless journeys group trip and uh, expense it that way. Um, And we'll, we'll provide some Tupperware in the gift bags when they arrive. I'm I'm open to to all possibilities. Partnership. So yeah, I've earned all the trips are different. Like some of them are with corporate. Some of them are with my business leader. So like I was talking about my bigger org. So our team goes up and down. Um, There used to be regions because we weren't in, a virtual world when Tupperware started. So I'm a part of a region that actually started in Washington, the state of Washington. Um, and I- Quite a region. Yes, <laughs> there's no region anymore because of the virtual world. Um, but so I, I lucked out and I joined the number one Tupperware team in all of America, um, in all of the United States. So- um, Was that from the start or is this at some other point? No. So she's, she's been in the top for quite a, quite a few years. So that was your um, friend, Megan. So my friend, Megan, it's actually the business leader above her. So, okay. someone, but Megan as well, like Megan was the fastest growing director in Tupperware in the United States this year. So, That's um, amazing. yeah, so leadership matters. It makes a difference. Um, having support and having camaraderie, um, we're, not, we're family and our, our hashtag is better together. And, you don't always see that in a business where there's a lot of competition or jealousy. And honestly, like our team works so amazing together and they really like, we all share, we're all here to support one another. Um, of course there's bumps in the roads and whatnot, but better together. We're, we really are like, you can't do it on your own. Like being together is much better. So I got a couple, uh, you know, last questions. I know we, we've, we, we're uh, hitting some time here, but speaking of that, so, um, you said leadership matters. I mm-hmm. love that you also uh, use the phrase start with why. A lot of people um, have heard a book or a TED talk by that name by Simon Sinek. I actually used the book in our Fearless Journeys book club uh, last year, Start With Why. And it's really important because you do have to be, and I love the way you also explained it because 
your why and Simon Sinek talks about this in his book, your why can change or it can evolve. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh-huh. you were passionate. And I'm sure there's still a passion in you for teaching young people. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. Obviously your kids, but um, and you're also passionate about books and particularly children's books. And you know, I think anybody listening or or who knows you and knows your story can see those were easy things to 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 uh, see that that was part of your why, you know, children and learning. But but then you got into this world of sales, mm-hmm. and and you and but the sales was still revolving around children's books. Uh, but you didn't go to school for sales. You went to no. school for teaching, teaching. Never right? worked Education. in sales. Yeah. So somehow you learned to be a good salesperson and, um, and then you translated those uh, skills over to something you were passionate about, children's books, to something you didn't think you had a passion for, but you've developed a passion for Tupperware. Yeah. Um, but you've also developed a passion for leadership Yes. and helping train other people. And they, they have this seems like a really amazing culture in the company, which yes. again, Simon Sinek talks about that. He talks about building a culture around yes. the why. And it sounds like Tupperware to me, just from hearing your story and hearing your experience, they've really ingrained their why all the way through their company. And they've been able to do it successfully for 76 plus years, mm-hmm. which is no easy feat. Um, and obviously that why is uh is very durable no pun intended yes, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway so uh so that's really great but i i i want to hear a little bit more about your role at becoming a salesperson and and how you know what what role sales plays i mean what I, and and i'm going to just pause for a second and say you know i think in some ways the more i learn and read about sales we're all in it, no matter where you're at, you're, you're kind of selling something, mm-hmm. right? You got Everybody's got to be, uh, you know, a salesman at, at, at one point or another, but tell me a little bit about, you know, the, the, the sales and how, and how you became a, a great uh, saleswoman. Well, I or do you feel, say- or do you feel, I mean, I, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I mean, like, you know, tell me just about that, that whole, that whole, that whole experience and a whole evolution. So I think it's two, two parts. So being a good learner, they say teachers make the best, you know, teachers are the best learners. Um, but I think anyone can be a good learner, like being able to be led and coachable matters. Um, I did what my leaders said, like I took what they said, they made it's working for them. So why shouldn't I do it? Like I listened to my boss per se. I don't ever call them my boss. Um, but I have success because I do what, what is proven to work. Like, and part of that comes in the journey of that. Like I, I don't have these skills. I didn't come in with them. Um, I may have some, some gifts that help with those skills, but I'm being taught them and I'm learning them and th- and then I'm putting them into practice and then I'm teaching other people how to do them. Um, and I'm huge. And this is part of me as a teacher. Like you can't just learn by staring at a chalkboard or a board, like hands-on learning is good. We have proof of that. That's what like, um, so being able to do the things and to, and to see my success in them, but then also to pass them on to other people and help them do it as well. 
Um, so that's part of it. Being coachable, being able to learn. And then a huge part is not just being able to learn, but then to pass on that learning to others. Um, no, that's really fantastic. And, you know, you said a few things there, Katie, that I've heard from a lot of entrepreneurs in different areas. Uh, first of all, you said you, you always got to be you always got to be learning. Right. And um, and I think that's that's a key, too, because a lot of times people think learning ends with school. Um, oh gosh, and, no, you learn every day. <laughs> right. And and then and so if you graduate high school, I literally just saw the statistic the other day. I, I actually don't even really believe it. I, I, I just I saw a post somebody put up and it said something like half the people that graduate high school, like never read another book the rest of their life. Oh, it's like, oh, is that right? That can't be I right. hope that's that can't right. be right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it said something like there was a statistic about people that leave college, like 30 percent of them never read another book. And I was like, that, that just can't be right. So um, so but anyway, but you always got to be learning. Learning isn't just a to school, but also you said you got to be teachable. So you have to be in a coachable, teachable position. Um, and I've heard that a lot, you know, um, from other people. And then, and then the other thing you said is learning. We think of learning. We talk, I just said books, right. I talked about school, mm-hmm. but entrepreneurs learn by doing mm-hmm. and, um, and you learn by doing and you were, you know, you, you were teachable, you were, but, and you're, you're open to learning, but you also actually had to have the experience and go mm-hmm. through it uh, to do that. So I think that's, those are really some key actionable insights for people to be listening to your story uh, and, and maybe the story of other entrepreneurs and, and just understand that, you know, where, wherever you're at today, wherever someone's at today, they've got to be thinking, how can, okay, what can I do to grow and learn? And, and, and you put yourself, I would also say in a, in many times in your life, in uncomfortable positions, teaching mm-hmm. in that inner city school to kids who look nothing like you, and you you came from a completely different background than them. Culture, and yep. And you're 20 to 30 students in a classroom. Um, that's not that's not a comfortable position, yeah. Um, you know, to be in, and you put yourself in that. But then you also you know went into direct sales, something you weren't in sales. You put yourself in an uncomfortable spot, and then you actually, it seemed to me you were really curious about your friend's um, success in Tupperware and how Mm -hmm. it was so different than what she was doing in children's books where you were still at. Yep. That your curiosity led you to say, I'll go ahead and pay $15 for that Mm -hmm. team. I'm going to look at it like a course, look at something like I can learn. And then (laughs) you got into it and said, huh, you know, and you were open. You actually, it sounded like when you were talking about it, it sounded like you were not open to it. Like if you were listening to your words, but clearly there was something you were open to, uh, to be, to going into that world and you've become passionate. So anyway, I think there's a lot to learn from your story. Anything else you want to say about that? I think the only other thing, and I think anyone in any job can relate to this, like work and sales is relational. Like, Honestly, I think the reason I have the success I have is because one, I'm, I'm a learner and I'm open and and I listen and I do, but the other part of it is, is that it's all about people. Like, even as a teacher, like I told you, like my job wasn't to teach them. My job was to love them and to nurture them and to value them as people. And in the same exact context in this job and in any job I've had, um, even in mowing lawns, like having conversations with the people that I mowed lawns for, like 
it's the same thing. Like my team members are not just my team members. They are people to me. Their life story matters to me, what their goal is and what their why is matters to me. And same with my customer. Like I love Tupperware because it has a nostalgia. Like, just like you said, like your mom has that. She, she loves Tupperware. Like I'm excited. I want to, I want to go reach out to your mom and be like, Oh, show me the rest of your Tupperware. Um, which seems silly, but it is, it's like that bonding. Like I grew up with Tupperware at my grandma's, like some of my fondest memories come in these crazy pea, yellow and green cups. Um, but, (laughs) and, and that's like, that's the beauty of sales and any type of work. Like there's people in a job. What can, how can you learn from them? How can you relate to them? How can you experience with them? Well, you know, um, have you ever read this book called the go-giver? Mm-mm. Well, it's the current book we're reading right now in the Fearless Journeys oh. community, and it's really cool. And for those listening, if you want to join, you can join at fearlessjourneys.org. But you can, uh, we're going to actually have the co-author of the book, Bob Berg, on our on online session on September 15th. But th- what you were describing, Katie, there's a character in this book that... Um, so the main character in the book, Joe, he's learning about being a giver or being a go-giver. from this sort of expert. And he's a go-getter. Yes. But he's Uh got to learn these other aspects of being a go-giver. And um, they take him to this conference where he hears from this woman speaker and her name is Deborah Davenport. And what you just described, you sound a lot like Deborah Davenport. Um, (laughs) And if anybody's reading this book, or if they're not reading, they're going to be like, what is Francisco talking about? But if they're reading, it's kind of like the fourth, I think it's like the fourth law or the third or fourth law. Uh, of, of the five laws that it, they teach in this book, but it's a fictional story, but it's got real life applications. But the, um, but the interesting thing is she learned that it was all about people. I mean, exactly what you said. It was about bringing your gifts, your, your gifts for uh, like this woman in the story, for example, she had been, you know, married. She had a couple kids her, her husband just like left her. Right. So she didn't have any career experience. She was starting over she ends up going, eventually finding a job in, as a realtor, uh, real estate. She was horrible. She did it. She tried every sales <laughs> technique that they taught her. They, nothing could work. She literally like was quitting her job, but she held on to her last appointment and she really l- relaxed in that last appointment and like didn't do any of her crazy sales techniques she was taught. She just started talking to the woman who she was showing the house to like a person. Mm-hmm. She was... They were just chit-chatting, like having real people-friendly skills. And the woman buys the house. And she realized in that moment in this story that, you know what? That person just wanted to be heard. They just Mm -hmm. wanted to be listened to. They just wanted to be treated like another person. And you know what? So the, the law that we learn in the book from that story is the greatest gift you have to give other people is yourself. Yes. And so- Whatever, you know, you have that great, uh, you know, personality that is perfect for a teacher and you're teaching still, mm-hmm. you're teaching oh, yeah. other people <laughs> coming through uh, your leadership programs, your Tupperware, you know, all the, all the, all the, cons- the consultants and other people that work under you. Um, and then I'm sure you're probably teaching customers and, you know, about these great use durable product. products that yep. are going to last for a lifetime. Um so anyway, uh, so great stories, but I have to ask you one more thing. Um, you took a really big trip timed with your 10th anniversary yes. and you went to, where'd you go? 
We went to Rome. You went to Rome. Was that your first time or Michael's first time? Michael's first time. So I went in college and we actually went to Rome and to Assisi. Um, so That's where my namesake comes from. Francis yeah, of Assisi. I know. And Assisi is my favorite. Like if, if it would have been like, if, if we had gone, Michael had gone before, we would have stayed longer in Assisi because Assisi is just like a retreat. It's beautiful and small mm. and quiet. Um, but when you go to Rome, you have to see all of the things. I mean, it's incredible. So we had some amazing spiritual experiences um, as a Catholic going to Rome. I mean, in the heart of the church, just so phenomenal. Um, and it, I honestly, my most enjoyable part of the trip was watching Michael take it all in. Um, because I had experienced it before, but to watch him like take that, um, our hotel was right next to the, uh, St. Peter's Basilica. So to be able to walk next to it every night and like, see it. And it was awesome. Um, yeah. And it was so fun. So our goal was to go to Rome for our 25th anniversary. Um, that's kind of been like our bucket list. When we got married, we made this list of like things we wanted to do together. Um, and, um, when I started this, I would have never envisioned that, but when COVID, because of COVID people were a little more hesitant to travel. So they didn't give us specific destinations that we were going to, they gave us trip vouchers. So, um, $3,500 per voucher and we could do whatever we wanted with it. Um, and they gave us a travel agency that would plan it and whatnot. We just got to choose what we did. So I, I took two of my trip vouchers and we saved it for this trip and we went to Rome. And I mean, literally the only thing we paid for was a few of our meals and souvenirs. Um, everything else was paid for. And man, we had a ton of fun. Like we did not, we did not limit ourselves. We did, we hired private guides when we went to the museums, which, oh my gosh, if you ever have the chance to get like a private tour guide, it's so worth it. Um, we went on a hot totally air agree. Yeah. We, uh, went, went on a Vespa tour. Like we went all out and we like, yeah. we went on cooking classes and, pay, and that was like paid for some of our meals. Cause we like made homemade. All How Friday. long was your trip? We were there for eight days. Um, because That's we a had nice three- trip. So you're talking about eight days, all those fun activities you did. Yeah. The travel to get there, the hotel, and just a couple of uh, meals and maybe a few extra gelatos, I'm assuming, um, and some were not wine. covered. And some wine. We're not covered. Uh, but that's like a dream vacation to be able to do on your 10th anniversary to yeah. a place that means so much for both of you, I know. Um, I was out, I was in Rome once uh, many years ago, and but it's 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 amazing. You are in awe when you're, oh when you're gosh. there for the first yes, time, um, especially if you're Catholic, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. uh, uh, but anyway, um, it's, it's a really great place, but anyway, for you guys to be able to do that and to get that paid for as one of the bonus rewards for all the stuff you're doing. And by the way, this isn't, they're not just giving you trips and they're not just giving you cards. You're also bringing home some cash, right? Home. Yeah. yeah. So career level income. Yeah. Michael that is amazing. Through- Michael wants to retire. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you keep uh, you, you keep uh, you know doing what you're doing with Tupperware. <laughs> it might be possible, but um, I know both of you. Uh, well, maybe Mike, not so much. Uh, I feel like your your passions are going to. Uh, you're not going to want to retire anytime soon because you're very passionate about what you're doing, oh, and uh, obviously you're passionate about your kids, and. Yes. Um, and maybe, you know, the only thing you would probably want to do is maybe spend more time with them. But it's great that this type of role allows you to be a mother, be at home when you want to, 
be with your kids, do the things, um, and, and be able to have the flexibility, uh, to grow that. And, you know, when you need to, you go on some trips and I know the grandparents are always happy to, yes, to take the it. kids. Did you leave your, uh, did I notice, did you leave, did you take the kids up to Minnesota, drop we them did. off and then go to Rome? <laughs> we did. Um, so yeah, we call it our yes life. Like we get to say yes to so many things because of Tupperware. Uh, we would never have dreamed that 10 years ago, but yes, we, um, my parents live across the country, so they don't see our kids as much. My dad is retired. Um, so we flew up to Minnesota, stayed for four days, kind of got them situated. We enjoyed the lake, had our like, we love being in Minnesota in the summer. Um, and then, yeah, we said hasta luego. And they watched our kids for eight days. And it was so fun. Like our kids are like so spoiled the whole time they were there. Like that's their favorite memory of mommy and daddy being gone. Um, and then we came back and we stayed in Minnesota for another week and then came back to Florida. So yeah, we just, uh, dropped them off with grandma and grandpa. That's awesome. Well, Katie, if someone's listening and they want to connect with you or watching, yes. um, and cause we're on YouTube now. So if you're just listening to this, we're obviously you're on Spotify, Apple, all the platforms, but you can actually, I'm going to, I now put the full video up on uh, on YouTube. So you can, you can see that Katie is a real person with a real <laughs> life. Uh, this is not, I, this sound, I mean, this sounds like a dream life. I'm, uh, it, I'm, I'm telling here. you sometimes yeah. I'm still like pinching myself. Like, is this really real? Are we really? Yeah, and this living? is a person I've known for, I don't know, at least 12 years. I, I can't remember when we first met, but it was somewhere yeah. probably 2010 or mm -hmm. something. Uh, so anyway, uh, so it's really cool to see your story. And I mean, I just kept seeing all your postings and everything you're doing and reached out and said, I need to have you on the podcast. This is really yeah, incredible. So is this real? I got to, I got to get this story. Um, totally but yeah, anyway, how, how would somebody, how would someone connect with you? And, um, and if they're interested in working with you in some way, either on your team or even just hosting a Tupperware party, uh, is that something that they could reach out to you about? Of course. Yeah. So if you want to shop Tupperware, um, or you can reach me this way too, because my contact information is there. It's probably the easiest way. Um, my website is whereisthelid.com. That's um, your website. That's my website. Where, where is, is the lid dot com. And I'll post no. this in the show notes here too. <laughs> and then I'm on all sorts of social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, um, not Twitter, TikTok. Um, you'll get to see my funny husband on TikTok. Uh, we're kind of revamping all of our social media platforms. Um, it's called Easy Quick Family Recipes is where you'll find us on all those other social media platforms. Easy so Quick Family Recipes on all those platforms. If you kind of type that in, you'll find it. I'll yep. put some links in the show notes here too. So it'll make it easy for people. Uh, but this has been awesome, Katie. I'll just give you yeah. uh, thanks. First of all, thanks for being on. And uh, I'll give you some last um, words here. Yeah. Is there anything I think, else you want to say? I just think that, I mean, honestly, I think... For me, and I love that you are sharing this, like most times when people hear about direct sales, they think, oh, I can't do that. Like that's like one in five, you know, like one in 500 that do that. Well, the reality is, is you can, like, it's not just me. There's hundreds of other people doing this too. So thousands. Um, so one, take a chance. Like if, you know, if, if you feel something calling you to it, do it. What do you have to lose? Um, I mean, be smart. Don't like quit your up and quit your job if you have no financial stability, but <laughs> still, but and just be, a, do, do what feeds your fire and see how it works. And, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. And 
I mean, be a person, be personable. And yeah, I think your world would be, our, our world would be so much happier if we were truly who we are to ourselves. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Oh, that makes total sense. Take a chance, go on your own uh, fearless journey, chart your course, whatever you want to do. And uh, I really love that. Well, thank you for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. And thanks thanks for being an agent of innovation yourself. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Katie.